You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, FanRock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. FanRock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody, and happy Sunday to you. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and I uh, hope you are enjoying your Memorial Day weekend. Uh, also taking a moment to uh, thank those who uh, serve our country and to think of those who have uh, given the ultimate sacrifice in doing so. So, uh, But I uh, hope everybody is uh, enjoying their weekend, enjoying their Sunday. We've got uh, a lot of news today. Busy, busy news day heading into Fantasy Week 9. So we'll take a look back at the news, take a look back at some of the weekend performances. And, of course, as we typically do on Sunday, take a look forward to the upcoming week. Some really intriguing two-star pitchers. We're going to have FanRag Sports' Jim Finch on later on in the show to break down some of those two-star options for you. Lots to get to. So let's get on with it. Um, and we'll start with the latest on Yoenis Cespedes. Uh, if you maybe had been uh, you know, busy this weekend, out of town, you know, whatever, not, not uh, plugged into the uh, baseball news, you were maybe hoping to use Yoenis Cespedes in week nine. He was expected to come back uh, possibly as soon as Monday. But uh, looks like now he is going to miss, I would think, most likely most or all of week nine. He had a setback. On Saturday, he has experienced some soreness in his right quad, uh, did so while running the bases on Saturday night, and he is not scheduled to take live batting practice again until Tuesday. Uh, this from James Wagner of the New York Times. So, um, yeah, look for an alternative to Jonas Cespedes this coming week. Hopefully he'll be back, uh, be back soon. News from the Indians. Another uh, poor start for Danny Salazar and with Corey Kluber scheduled to return from the DL on Thursday this coming week, Danny Salazar is heading to the Indians bullpen. So uh, if you're a Salazar owner, that's obviously something to pay attention to. I mean, I think he had sort of worn out his welcome in mixed leagues of late. Um, But if you're a Josh Tomlin owner or Mike Clevenger, uh, Clevenger in particular, I think has been uh, intriguing, then... uh, you know, those those two looks like will stay in the uh, Indians rotation for the time being, even with Corey Kluber coming back. Um, DL news from Houston. Charlie Morton going on the disabled list with a strained lat. No timetable for his return, but that looks like that should keep Mike Fires in the rotation. Looked like Fires was going to be out with Brad Peacock earning a spot. Uh, Peacock scheduled to uh, make two starts in week nine. And, of course, uh, in all that rotation shuffle, Dallas Keuchel was activated off the DL on Saturday and had a very, very nice start in his first game back. It was a very short stay for Keuchel on the DL. So a lot more news to get to. We will get to all that after the break. And as I said before, we're going to have Jim Finch on a little bit later. Talk about two-star pitchers. So please do stick around. We will be right back.
back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and uh, we've got uh, more news to get to. In fact, a lot more just rolled in uh, during that break. But right before we get to that, just a quick word about the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. You can now take the world's premier 24-7 Fantasy Sports Radio Network with you wherever you go. Download the Fancy Sports Radio app now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and listen for free anytime, anywhere. You can hear Tony Sincata on the treadmill, Benny Riccardi in your car, or Greg Sussman while you're on the subway, or just relax with the king on the couch or with Jake Seeley when you're jogging. We will keep you updated and informed wherever you go. So get the Fancy Sports Radio app for free right now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and take the experts with you. All right, so as I mentioned, just even during the break, uh, lots of news rolling in, mostly of the lineup variety, but also one of the items is, uh, and this is not really a big surprise, but Kendall Graveman has been placed by the A's on the DL, and uh, or actually he will be uh, on Monday. So a little technicality there. Daniel Mengden getting called up to make his first start of the year. On Monday, we saw him up with the A's last year. So now we got Kendall Graveman and Jesse Hahn on the DL for uh, the A's. Now, as far as that lineup news goes, a lot of big names sitting out today. So something to take note of for your daily lineup changes or your DFS leagues. Uh, Bryce Harper is out of the lineup for the Nationals. And so is Daniel Murphy, although that is more health related. He's missed uh, now a couple of games due to uh, an illness, reportedly. So uh, both uh, both of those lefties out of the lineup for uh, the Nationals. Uh, also, in terms of the lineup news, Adam Jones is out of the lineup again. He's been dealing with both an ankle issue and a hip issue. Uh, I would say, by the way, blending this with some Week 9 advice, the Orioles have a bunch of lefties. Last I look, four scheduled left-handed starters for the Orioles. And Adam Jones has been dreadful against lefties since the beginning of last season. So it would have been a good week to sit Adam Jones in just about any format anyway. Uh, and now that he's uh, out again with a couple of health issues, I think there's no question uh, that I'd say even in very deep leagues that you might as well sit Adam Jones for the coming week. So he is out today. Francisco Lindor just getting a routine day off for the Indians. Same thing for Miguel Sano and Paul Goldschmidt. And Dee Gordon out of the lineup for the Marlins. So you've got Christian Colon taking over at second base. And I have to admit, when I looked at the lineup, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Christian Colon is a Marlin now. Uh, and you got JT Riddle playing shortstop and taking over the leadoff spot. And of course, Riddle's been, been hitting well of late. So uh, that is your uh, lineup update for the moment. If there's anything else new, we'll we'll get back to that. But let's get back to some of the other news, uh, mostly injury-related here. Adrian Beltre could be back tomorrow for the Rangers. That's going to be an interesting situation uh, to deal with uh, as a fantasy owner. But I would say as of right now, definitely plan on starting Beltre. He's been out, of course, with a right calf strain. He will be evaluated on Monday, and barring anything unexpected, uh, I think the expectation is that uh, Beltre will be activated. Uh, now, in terms of the domino effect in the Rangers lineup, I would expect, I've not, this is just speculation on my part, that that would affect Jared Hoying. But, um, you know, that's that's definitely one to keep an eye on. Perhaps if you're a Delano DeShields owner, I would think Joey Gallo would be safe. But certainly, uh, 
you know, something you got to keep an eye on. Couple of good news, uh, good pieces of injury news here. James Paxton is scheduled to start on Wednesday against the Rockies. Uh, so he'll be coming off the DL very soon. Uh, so again, barring any news between now and Monday's uh, lineup block, get James Paxton back into your rotation. Probably shouldn't start Justin Turner this week, but the good news is that he is expected to be back sometime before the end of the week, most likely likely late in the week for Justin Turner. Ian Kinsler was placed on the DL on Saturday. He's got a hamstring injury. And Jamison Tyone is going to start a rehab assignment on uh, Tuesday with Double A Altoona. So that is uh, outstanding news for Tyone. Uh, who's thrown a couple of bullpen sessions and could be back as soon as towards the end of June. So that is really, really great news for Tyone, who um, uh, had uh, testicular cancer and recently had surgery. So that's uh, fantastic news for him. Uh, Brandon McCarthy has got right knee tendonitis. He left his start last night early against the Cubs. It was a fantastic start, too, and he did make it six innings. Uh, if you're looking for encouragement for McCarthy, he tweeted out uh, this morning, I should be fine. I'm old, so things just hurt. I hope that's all it is for Brandon McCarthy because uh, when he's been healthy, he's been really, really good this year. And I think he's very underowned and underrated. And I can understand the concerns about McCarthy because of uh, the, the injury history and particularly this year with him having some health issues. But a very good start for McCarthy. Zach Wheeler also not quite as good as McCarthy. has been a, a nice start. Uh, at the Pirates, and he came out a bit early in that one due to a blister. So no further update there. I'm sure that's one you're going to have to check in on. Uh, but these blister problems have lingered for a number of pitchers this year. So I'd be extremely hesitant to start Zach Wheeler this week, as of right now. But, you know, we have to check back. There's a lot a lot to check in on here uh, with all these injury situations. So that's one, though, that you do need to check in on. Colton Wong was scratched on Saturday with a stiff left elbow. That's been a recurring issue for Wong. Uh, and I'm sorry, one piece of lamp news that I forgot before that uh, is a significant one, and that is that Yonder Alonso is back in the A's lineup. He's batting fifth and, of course, playing first base at the Yankees, uh, which will start just right after this show. So you can, if you're done listening to this, you can flip on the Yankees and the A's and uh, see Yonder Alonso back in the lineup. So that actually covers it for uh, the news for now. Like I said, the way that the, the news has been rolling in this morning, wouldn't be surprised if we'll get back to some news items. But for now, that is all, which means we can turn our attention to the weather forecast and not really not much going on here either. Would seem there's a little bit of weather going on. Well, there's weather going on everywhere, but some weather that could impact baseball in eastern Ohio and western Pennsylvania because the Indians, they're hosting the Royals. They've got a 24% chance of precipitation at game time. That substantially increases as the afternoon goes on there in Cleveland. So uh, you got Josh Tomlin going in that one. I honestly don't remember who started for the Royals. Oh, it's Danny Duffy. Well, that's pretty impactful there. So uh, check in back on that one for sure uh, before game time. Royals and the Indians and then also uh, the Pirates, and uh, sorry, let me get that uh, lineup up. That's a, a night game. That's the Sunday night game. Mets at Pirates. Matt Harvey and Tyler Glass now 
And uh, as I mentioned, with the Indians game, uh, weather there, chance of precipitation increasing as the afternoon wears on. So by tonight, still a very substantial uh, threat of rain in the Pittsburgh area. Currently 55% chance predicted for game time, which is 8.08 p.m. in the Eastern time zone. So that is your Roto Grinders uh, weather update provided by their meteorologist, Kevin Roth. So at last, after all that news, lineup uh, info and weather, we can finally get to some of the performances on Saturday. And boy, it was a kind of bizarro world in terms of pitching. Some really, really great performances, mostly from sources we wouldn't have expected it from. But certainly the one stud who came through uh, in, in a huge way was Steven Strasburg. Now he had the Padres at home. So that looked like a pretty nice start for an ace pitcher, and Strasburg fully took advantage of it. Went seven innings, did not allow a run, just one walk, three hits, and 15 big strikeouts against the Padres, who do strike out a lot. So uh, no problems there for Steven Strasburg. But a lot of other pitchers that you probably weren't counting on for big starts, they came through. Um, Brian Johnson, a complete game, five-hit shutout against the Mariners in Boston with eight strikeouts and no walks. And Johnson's reward this morning for that great performance was to get optioned back to Pawtucket. Um, again, not a, a really a huge surprise there. And as you'll see, that uh, that's not the only dilemma that uh, organizations faced with some, some great uh, performances on Saturday. Buck Farmer, who was called up as the 26th man for that Tigers-White Sox doubleheader on Saturday, he came through with six and a third scoreless innings, three hits and two walks, and 11 strikeouts at the White Sox. He got 22 swings and misses in that start. That is just incredible. But Farmers, not a, not a great ARA, but some great peripherals at AAA Toledo. So uh, we're going to head to break shortly. So I want to give Johnson and Farmer a little more of their due a little later on in the show. But uh, coming up after the upcoming break, we're going to have Jim Finch from FanRag. Uh, FanRag Sports coming on. He does his weekly two-start pitcher column. So it's great to have him here on a Sunday and walk us through some of the trickier two-start options for the coming week. So please do stay tuned. Jim and I will be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and our guest is here, Jim Finch, also from FanRag Sports, author of the weekly two-start pitching guide on FanRag and uh, lots of other great contacts. Jim, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Glad to be back. Had a little hiatus there with some personal life things, but back in the baseball scene now. Yeah, well, I'm glad glad to hear it. So I'm glad to have you back, Jim. And uh, I'm eager to get to those two-star pitchers, but I, I did promise in a previous segment if there was more news, I'd pass it along. So I'd mentioned that Colton Wong was dealing with the stiff uh, elbow. Uh, the Cardinals have placed Wong on the DL. So uh, if you were counting on Wong for the coming week, I'm assuming probably in a deeper format, uh, you need to find an alternative. So um, with that said, Jim, uh, some interesting two-start options this week. And um, 
I'm going to start with, you know, typically when we have this discussion, it's about guys who are maybe, uh, you know, at most 50, 60% owned and they're largely available. But Rich Hill is pretty widely owned. But I think particularly after his last start, you've got to ask some questions about if you're the Rich Hill owner or if he is somehow available, can you trust him this coming week? So he's got the Cardinals uh, in St. Louis. And uh, then also uh, at Milwaukee against the Brewers for for Hill, uh, would you would you feel okay about starting him? I actually kind of do. I mean, he's only had two games back since his uh, since the blister on his finger, but he went four innings in the one game, went five innings in the last game. Yeah, the Cardinals were the last game, and they touched him up, and that would make some people sort of hesitant. But he got through five innings. The finger was a little tender, but. He still made it through. He's got an extra five days to heal. So I think, given his pedigree, what he's done since last year, I think he should be okay for that game. And then you move. You've got another five days of rest before he gets to Milwaukee. And at first, I was kind of hesitant on that. But when I'm looking at the lineup, you got no brawn in there. Villar's not hitting. Thames has slowed down from his big home run month in April. So you take out the beef of that order. And they're just not as scary. I mean, you got Broxton, Santana, and Perez. They're all hitting well, but it's just not the same dynamic in that lineup without those big three guys in there. So overall, you got two teams that are average hitting. He'll start in a round back in the form. I would, I would definitely start him. Yeah, but but Eric Sogard. What about Eric Sogard? Uh, <laughs> there's there's a sentence I, I didn't ex- I didn't expect to utter. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's just one of those names that just pops up and just like, where did this guy come from? I'm he's he's doing well right now, but he's not the kind of hitter that I would fear. If you had like a mediocre pitcher, like somewhere a middle of the road, somewhere three five oh four oh pitcher, some someone like that, I would probably fear against a hitter like him. But I think Hill is a much better pitcher than Sogard is a hitter. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, it's hard not to be impressed by what Sogard's done, but but yeah, I mean, he's he's not reached the point where he's he's certainly going to impact the uh, the sit start decisions I'm making for for pitchers. For for Hill, for me, it's just more you know the walks in the last start, uh, you know, and there's just I think I, I kind of start off Hill with a little bit of a penalty just because I worry that you know in any given start maybe that that blister resurfaces, but. Uh, Yes, I think you've kind of talked me into it. So, uh, and that is that's a dilemma I am facing in one of my leagues. So, uh, Matt Moore, he's got kind of a, a split week, and, and I mean, I, I know I say pretty much the same thing about Matt Moore every time his name comes up, which is I start him at home, I sit him on the road, but his home start is against the Nationals this week, and of course they've been tough against everybody, but they've been especially tough against lefties. So, is there enough there? in that home start against the Nationals, or do you think Moore is okay on the road at Philadelphia? How do you how do you do the math on that one? No, I completely agree on that one. I mean that's what that's I put him down as a fifty fifty player for uh, my write up for today. He's yeah, it's the start at home is nice, but like you said, the Nationals are tough against lefties. They're the second best team against lefties and he's had some big games in there. He's given up nine runs to the Dodgers, five and six to the Rockies. He's barely held on against the Diamondbacks and Cubs. So the best-case scenario you can look from him would be three runs over six innings. But given the offense for the Nationals, I just see too many more runs with that. And I can't see 
if you're not in a if you're in a weekly format starting him because the Philly game it's just not going to offset that much of the damage. I can see him giving up maybe two runs to the Phillies, and if he gives up four or five runs to the Nationals, that's just going to hurt your ERA, your WHIP, and you're not going to get the win out of it. So if you're in a weekly format, sit him. If you're in a daily format, start him at Philly toward the end of the week, depending on what your ratios look like. Well, you know, I, I actually, and this is going to sound totally bizarre, I'm actually a little bit more worried about the Philadelphia start. Because uh, I mean, I've seen cases where, you know, some sort of borderline pitchers have done okay against the Nationals in, in a good venue. But, um, you know, more just doesn't seem to do well in a hitter's park. And and I would add, the Phillies have not been terrible. And it's a, it's a re-endorsement. They've not been terrible against lefties. I mean, they've been been pretty bad against righties. But, uh, you know, they've hit for some power against left-handed starters. And that's that's the split I worry about with Moore because he is a fly ball pitcher. I mean, do you, you think, uh, you know, you think if he, he clears that start against the nationals, he's, you know, thinking from a daily perspective when he comes back at Philadelphia, would you feel good about starting him there? If he does well at Washington, I might be a little bit more hesitant, but I'm thinking Washington blows him out and he rarely has those two starts in a row to where he gets blown out to where, if the Nationals do hit him hard, I think you can expect a minimum of a quality start versus Philly. But if Washington does well against them, given the road split, given the home road splits, I might be, I might want to pull him there. It it would all really depend on where you are in the standings against your opponent. I mean, at that point, I mean, if ERA and WHIP are out of the way and you're just going for a win and looking for some strikeouts, you're definitely going to start him. If ERA and WHIP are in play for your league, you may want to bench him for daily. All right. Sounds like good advice to me. Uh, got a couple of lefties to consider. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, he's at the Orioles and at the Blue Jays. And Tyler Anderson, uh, I, I absolutely love these matchups for him. Versus the Mariners, uh, that is a course field. But, uh, you know, Mariners, I, I like that matchup. And then he's at San Diego. And, of course, we saw what Strasburg did uh, against the Padres last night. So Montgomery and Anderson, do you have a preference for one over the other? Uh, and uh, are they both okay to start this week? I'd probably lean toward Anderson. I mean, at first I was kind of hesitant because I looked at the Colorado and I'm looking at Anderson's numbers at home. He's got a 5-2-4 ERA and a 1-3-4 whip at home. But if you look at his last four starts, he's got four quality starts in a row, facing the Diamondbacks and Dodgers at home, he faced the Reds on the road, and over the last four games, a 2.55 ERA and a 1.14 WHIP, and 32 strikeouts in 24 innings. So he's dialed in so far. And the home numbers are kind of deceiving. And when I looked at the Mariners, I didn't realize this how bad they were struggling against lefties. They're 29th in batting average and runs scored, and dead last in home runs, and 24th in on base percentage. So. At first, you may think of benching him for the core start versus Seattle, but I'm actually leaning towards starting him, and I would I would probably list him as a solid start this week. I, yeah, I absolutely love this. And like you said, he is totally dialed in. He's got all those strikeouts. He's been getting the swings and misses all season long. And this month, he's got a 59% ground ball rate. So I'm not too worried about him at Coors Field. And like you said, Mariners are such a good matchup for a lefty. So I... Anderson's been the, the guy I've been targeting in, in my leagues, trying to pick him up. Uh, and, and I've been amazed. He's been available pretty much everywhere. Uh, as for Montgomery, 
I, I've been a little frustrated by him because it seems you know he's getting strikeouts. He's a fly ball guy who's not allowing a lot of hard contact on those flies, and yet the results have been kind of meh. Uh, do you think he's he's maybe you don't like him as much as Anderson? Do you still think he's good enough to start this week? I'm still in the feeling out phase with Montgomery. I mean, like you said, he's got the fly balls. He gives up too many walks, and the strand rate's been a little lucky. But the hard co- the hard hit rate is low. The contact has been great for him. So it's kind of statistically, it's kind of hard to look at him and figure out what kind of pitcher he's going to be. I mean, Baltimore ranks in the top ten against lefties. Toronto's not that bad, and they got Donaldson back. I'm kind of hesitant on both starts. I mean, if I had him gun to my head, I might put him in there. But I personally, I would rather just sit back and feel him out. Yeah. And, and to me, too, there's a numbers crunch because I've got Montgomery on a couple of rosters. Got the two starts. It's tempting to get him in there. But I look at who I'd have to bench. It's like, eh, I, I, I agree with you. It's, good. it's kind of a good test, a good a good wait and see week for Jordan Montgomery. Uh, now, if those guys are unavailable, I mean, we've been talking about pitchers who are, you know, not widely available, but not you know, totally available, uh, particularly deeper formats. In that kind of situation, do you think it's all right to roll with Matt Garza, who's at the Mets and then uh, at home versus the Dodgers? You know, it's funny. We look at some pitchers that, like, bounce back and ha- are having these career years, and we buy into them and start them, no problem. And then here's Garza doing what he was doing prior to 2015. And it's it's one of those things where you look at him and you look at the underlying metrics and you're like, yeah, he's not a bad pitcher, but your gut's going, yeah, something's just not right here. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's got a 3.60 ERA and a 1.14 WHIP, and he's doing fairly well. But the teams he's done well against, they're basically weaker offensive teams. Like the Pod- he's faced the Padres, the Phillies, the Mets. But overall, he hasn't been that bad. The one game I do worry about with him is the Dodgers. I mean, they rank sixth in batting average and fourth in runs and on-base percentage in May, so that could be a big game. But facing off against the Mets, since he's already handled them well before, I think the combined games, that could offset the damage. So if you go into this expecting a textbook quality start numbers, you, you should be okay. All right. Well, Jim, I'd hope to talk also about Daniel Norris and Brad Peacock, but that's just going to give me a chance to tell people, go find Jim's column later today on FanRag Sports uh, on all the two-star pitchers. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we will be right back with some more review of Saturday's performances. So stick around. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melkier, your host. And thanks again to FanRag Sports Jim Finch to come uh, with us, uh, come on with us here and talk about some of the two-start options, like I said before the break. Uh, there were some other pitchers I really, really wanted to get to, uh, in particular Daniel Norris and Brad Peacock. Uh, so I just urge you to uh, find Jim's column, which will be up later today before you make your uh, waiver or start-sit decisions on your two-start pitchers. Uh, but Peacock, in, in particular, uh, you know, he's now in the Astros rotation, and uh, he's got starts at the Twins, at the Rangers this week. And, and man, that was such an impressive return to the rotation that he had his last time out. Um, he's right up, for me, he's right up there with Tyler Anderson in, in terms of somebody I'd be looking for on waivers and, and wanting to give a spin in uh, 
in week eight. Uh, but let's uh, go back to Saturday where there were a lot of really sterling pitching performances and um, for the most part from sources that you wouldn't have expected it from guys who aren't, you know, starting in a lot of leagues. And in the case of Brian Johnson and Buck Farmer, who we talked about, you know, starting at very, very few leagues. Uh, in fact, Brian Johnson already optioned back to AAA Pawtucket to make room for David Price. Um, and Buck Farmer, I have not been able to find any news on him, but he was called up as the 26th man. So, I mean, I would have to assume he's heading back to Toledo, but it, how do you keep uh, Buck down on the farm? I'm sorry. Had to do it though. How do you do it when uh, he has such a great performance uh, at the White Sox? Now, granted, both the Johnson's case and Farmer's case, pretty good opponents. Now, Jim Finch in the last segment talked about how the Mariners have really been awful against lefties. So, uh, you know, that maybe gets some of the credit for uh, Johnson's uh, great performance. And uh, again, if you weren't here in the earlier segments or, or didn't follow that last night, Brian Johnson rocked the Mariners. Oh, I blew I blew my ACDC pun. He shook the Mariners all night long with a five-hit shutout performance. Uh, so... Uh, you know, the, the matchup was certainly a favorable one. You could say the same thing for Buck Farmer uh, facing the White Sox, who are really, have been really good against lefties, but not very good against righties. But uh, lots of other performances to get to here. Chase Anderson took a shut or took a no-hitter, rather, and a shutout into the eighth inning against the Diamondbacks uh, and then gave up a Nick Ahmed single uh, that kind of scooted through the infield uh, to, to lose the uh, lose the no hitter, and then Anderson uh, was out of the game at that point. But seven scoreless innings, just the one hit to Nick Ahmed, three walks, and eleven strikeouts for Chase Anderson. Uh, now and things hadn't been going so great for Anderson for the most part in May. He got off to a really nice start this season, but uh, he he kind of regressed back. Has had issues with uh, extra base hits. So I'm not really sure what to make of this start. I think it's just a situation where you put Anderson on your watch list and see if he can follow it up with another good start. Um, but uh, you know, at this point, the not-so-good recent performances have outweighed this one excellent performance for Chase Anderson. So to me, this isn't really an actionable thing yet. Adam Wainwright, on the other hand, he's been good for several starts in a row. But uh, this is uh, the, the best one to date. Seven scoreless innings at Colorado. So definitely a higher degree of difficulty there for Adam Wainwright. Seven scoreless innings, uh, just allowing three hits and one walk with six strikeouts. So beautiful game line for Adam Wainwright at a tough park against a very good offense. And uh, I'm sure he'll be very, very popular on waivers, and, and those who own him will now start want to start getting him in the rotation. I got to admit, I'm I'm still pretty skeptical about Wainwright. I think this is the situation where, you know, he's putting up good numbers, but I I'm not really expecting it to last because the control has not really been there for him. Uh, and I think that's critical because I don't think Wainwright is. I think he's he's better than he was before. You know, better than he was for much of last season. But I don't think he's at the point now where you can overlook some some shaky control and say, well, Wainwright's going to compensate for that by overpowering hitters. I, I don't think he's really that kind of pitcher now at this stage in his career. And even though he had just the one walk at Colorado, still not a great strikes thrown rate. 
So, and that, that's been a constant through uh, this good stretch of Wayne, for Wainwright. So my advice would be, uh, you know, stash him if you want, but, but don't start him just yet. Steven Strasburg, I mentioned before, uh, he had a, a dominant start at the, uh, the Padres. Uh, Ty Block, another very, very good start for him. He's also been on a nice roll. Um, he went seven and two thirds. This was at AT&T Park. That's going to be critical in analyzing block. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, six hits, three walks, and just two runs allowed against the Braves with five strikeouts. And uh, for, for block, that's actually those five strikeouts and seven two thirds. That's actually a, a quite an upgrade because he's really not been striking at anybody. But despite that, he's been going deep. He's been going seven innings plus with regularity lately. But the one uh, aberration to an otherwise really impressive string of starts for Ty Block was a start at Cincinnati where he got absolutely blown up. And his next start is at Philadelphia. That's coming up on Friday next week. And talked in the last segment with Jim Finch about the perils that I think the Phillies could pose for a left-handed starter, especially at Citizens Bank Park. So again, sort of like with Wainwright, I think you could be encouraged by the recent trend for Block. I think at AT&T Park, he's somebody, especially deeper leagues, you consider starting to start weak with good venues. Maybe he's even a standard mixed league guy. <laughs> On the road, especially at a bad park with one start, stay away. I'd say even in the NL league, stay away from, from Block uh, because, he, again, he pitches to contact. He leans as a ground ball pitcher. But I, you know, I just don't even trust him to even necessarily keep the ball in the park against a, a team with some power. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my take on block. But certainly, if you have been starting the last few weeks, you've enjoyed a bunch of really good starts. CC Sabathia with a nice one against the A's at Yankee Stadium, six and a third, two runs on six hits and three walks, with nine Ks. Um, and I, I put him on the watch list as well. Uh, it's not quite enough for me to to buy into Sabathia, but he's had some nice starts, or I should say even nice stretches over the last year or so. So, um, you know, I'm certainly not going to completely dismiss this this outing. J.C. Ramirez, uh, you know, speaking of pitchers who have put together a nice string of starts, but without strikeouts. Uh, this at the Marlins, seven innings. Just one run allowed, and it was an unearned run. So seven innings with no earned runs for Ramirez, seven hits, one walk, and just three strikeouts. And that's been the trend for him over the last several starts, I think the last five now, where Ramirez is just not getting swings and misses, not getting strikeouts, which is a little deflating because his first few starts, I think it was maybe his first three starts in the Angels' rotation, he looked like he was going to be really good. And, I mean, you always have to be wary with pitchers, uh, you know, who are good for two, three, maybe four starts uh, in ways you don't expect because, you know, hitters can make adjustments. They can re- revert to old habits. But, you know, Ramirez looked like a revelation in, in making the transition from the relief role. And he's still been good, just in a different way. So his his control has been superb as a starter. And lately, he's been getting more ground balls. So maybe that's the way Ramirez stays relevant in mixed leagues because I don't think he's going to be a strikeout pitcher. But by just keeping runners off off the bases, uh, minimizing walks, and you know, at Angel Stadium, he's going to be able to keep the park 
uh, ball in the park. He did so at Marlins Park, uh, you know, so and, and I think he can get ground balls when he's at venues that aren't as helpful to him. Now, it's been a lot of, you know, good news in terms of pitchers really impressing us. But there was one really notably bad performance last night that has me worried, and that's Garrett Cole versus the Mets. He only lasted five innings, and for the second start in a row, Cole allowed 10 hits, so 20 hits in his last two starts. And um, this time around, giving up four runs in those five innings with a walk and three strikeouts, and he gave up three home runs. So that's a total of five home runs and 10 extra base hits in his last two starts. So Cole has gone from being on this really, really nice run of just consistency, going deep into games, quality start after quality start, to two really, really awful starts in a row. Um, so I'd be very hesitant to use Cole in week nine until we see what's going on there. Because one start you can you can write off, you know, maybe this is just a Masahiro Tanaka thing where you know, Cole has to just, you know, work on his mechanics and, and, and just, you know, address whatever is wrong. Uh, and I actually expect it will be. I just don't want to take the chance that he doesn't figure it out in week nine with him on my active roster. So I, th- I think, you know, you got to put the red red flag there for, uh, for Garrett Cole. So a few hitter performances that were uh, noteworthy. Uh, we'll probably get to most of these in the final segment. But Zach Cozart... It seems like we keep coming back to Cozart, and every time I just have to shrug my shoulders. I don't understand what's going on with Cozart. He just keeps getting hits. He went four for four at Philadelphia on Saturday, hit his fifth home run and his 13th double, and he's now hitting 355 on the season. And that's with some nice power, too. Um, I remained skeptical, and after a certain point, you know, you just kind of feel like an idiot, you know, keep, keep saying, I don't trust it. I don't trust it. And that he keeps coming out with these multi-hit games and, and extra base hits. But um, after the break, I'll dig in a little bit as to why I'm still not trusting Zach Cozart. And, and I will say for the most part, I'm buying into the power and I don't think anybody's buying into a 355 average. I just don't know that he's even going to you know be better than average as a batting average hitter. But we got to go to break. I'll come back and break that down a little bit more. Talk about Mike Moustakis, Lucas Duda, talk him. We'll get to all that in the final segment. So please stay with us, and we will be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. Thanks for coming back for this final segment. Got a lot to get to. Going to probably have to do it rapid-fire style. But first, I do need to tell you about the RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package. It's your ultimate bench coach for the 2017 season. Stay ahead of the pack with their in-depth statistical breakdowns, trend analysis, and player insights. Become a wizard of the waiver wire and learn how to scan the numbers like a Roto scientist. They'll help you set the ideal lineups every week. And this season, you get a built-in fantasy training staff with their new injury advisor, which is powered by InsideInjuries.com. So get the RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package now and start soaring to the top of the standings. Enter the promo code FREERADIO at the checkout for a special discount. 
So I mentioned before the break that there were a few hitters I wanted to break down, including Zach Cozart. But a quick note from our guest uh, from earlier today, uh, Jim Finch. I had told him I wanted to talk about Daniel Norris, and he just emailed me during the break and said um, he's going to sit Daniel Norris this week in weekly formats and in daily formats going to sit him against the White Sox. And that makes sense because the White Sox have been very, very tough. Uh, against left-handed pitchers. So I thank Jim for that uh, uh, very, you know, uh, quick condensed uh, nugget there on uh, Daniel Norris. But let's get back to the hitter since we just have a a few minutes left here. So as I mentioned before the break, Zach Cozart went four for four with a homer and a double on Saturday at Philadelphia. He's now hitting 355. I'm buying half of the picture here for Cozart. Because, you know, this kind of home run power with five home runs in roughly, let's say, 30% of a season. I mean, we've seen this before from him in stretches. So I don't doubt that he has has the power to, uh, you know, hit 15 to 20 in a season. But I I still think he's like a 260, maybe at best 270 hitter. Uh, He's just got a crazy BABIP. Uh, 234 on fly balls, 348 on grounders. Those are extremely high, and there's really no reason to think that Cozart is going to keep those going. So um, the, uh, there's uh, just no reason to, uh, I think, to, to buy into Cozart as as that kind of hitter for, for average. And, and that's affecting his doubles total, too, because uh, he's up to 13 for now. So like I say, kind of a glass half full or, or glass half empty take on Zach Cozart. Um, Mike Moustakis had another big game on Saturday. This at Cleveland went three for five and hit his 13th home run of the season. So that gives him three homers in the last four games. I totally buy what, what Moustakis is doing because he's got a, uh, just a mediocre batting average. Uh, he's getting on base a 297 clip, which is not very good, but he's hitting for tons of power. And this is, you know, this is Moustakis. He's a pole hitter. He experimented for a while with an all-fields approach. He appears to have abandoned that. And, um, you know, I, 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 I like the power. It's good enough to start him or at least stream him in standard mixed leagues. I'm just not expecting a whole lot else from him. Lucas Duda's been hot. Uh, he went two for four uh, at the Pirates with a homer and a double. And he is now nine for 18 in his last, I think it's five games, uh, with two homers and four doubles over that span. So add Lucas Duda to the list of base, first basemen who are really being productive this year and, and somebody to consider in the standard mixed league. I don't know if there's room for everybody, but um, if you have room for Lucas Duda, particularly in a points league or an OBP league, uh, he's just getting on base uh, at a ridiculous pace. And last of all, Tommy Pham with a three-hit game. He had his fourth home run at Colorado. He's at 339. He's become a very, very nice weekend option. So I hope everybody enjoys their weekend. Thanks for joining me today. I will not be on tomorrow. I'll be off for the holiday, but I'll be back Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern. So I hope you join me then. Stay tuned for more great programming here on Fantasy Sports Radio. Have a great day, everybody.